0: I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, let's give them all a big hand. Thank you to William, to Janet, Christopher, Christabel, Siobhan, Patricia, Sebastian, Javier, Yuan and also those who work very hard behind the scenes, Zelin and Zhivian. Let's give them all a big hand once again. Uh, as we saw just now, Duck and Panda, the ice cream vendors, they didn't like the message of sugar-free that Bunny, the dentist, was teaching everybody and so they gathered others together and they made a lot of noise and chaos and they disturbed the peace of the forest and frightened Bunny. But Bear, the police bear, uh, calmed everyone down and restored order. Bunny also didn't make things worse, and in the end, she didn't hold a grudge against Duck and Panda. And so one of the lessons for all of us, not just the kids, but also the adults, is that when we don't like something or we disagree about something, we shouldn't let our feelings make us behave in a way that is difficult to control. Like getting all our friends to gang up on somebody or throwing a tantrum. We should calmly and peacefully talk about it properly with the right people so we can try to solve the problem and not make things even worse. Another lesson is that there is such a thing as sugar free ice cream. Uh, If you want to look for some, there's a place that does sell homemade uh, ice cream on Julia Street. And some of them are sugar-free. I won't tell you the name of the store or else it sounds like I'm giving an advertisement. You can search for it yourself if you want. Come, let us pray. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us. We pray that everything that you want to teach us, everything that you want us to act on, Lord, would you plant it deep in our hearts and may it bear fruit in your time. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you are wondering why I am not uh, there in person, maybe I should have started with this. Uh, it's that I, I, I went for a minor foot surgery earlier this week. Uh, there's, I have a plantar corn, which is like at the sole of my foot. There's like this... Uh, very deep con that's very deep it needed to be removed with surgery, uh. So I need to keep weight off my foot or else the wound will reopen. The more I I walk around, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you for for understanding. And by next week, I hopefully I should be okay lah, and and should be with all of you. Okay, our big idea today is that. Our God is greater than the chaos. Hey, so this is our takeaway message. Uh, if you forget everything, this is the one thing to remember. Our God is greater than the chaos. A couple of weeks back, we saw Paul on his first missionary journey. He left Antioch with Barnabas. He went round and he established several churches in southern Galatia. So if you can see the map, it might be a little small. But basically, the, the first journey is the, the white line. Okay, that's a, a white line there. That's, that's Paul's first missionary journey. Okay, so he, he established several churches in southern Galatia. He returned to Antioch, which is like his home base. Huh? Then the council of uh, Jerusalem happened, which we looked at in Acts chapter 15. And the gospel was made available to all the Gentiles uh, without them needing to follow Jewish customs. Our last week, Brother Chongjin brought us through Paul's second missionary journey and he, so, so Paul parted ways with Barnabas and he went with Silas and later Timothy to Greece and he established more churches along the way in places where he would eventually write letters to, so places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, before returning to his home base again in Antioch. And so the his second missionary journey is the yellow line. It's a little more difficult to see, but there's a yellow line there. Okay, uh, In today's passage, Paul was on his third missionary journey. He visited some of the churches that he established on his first journey. Then he came to Ephesus, where he had promised them near the, the, the end of his second journey uh, he promised the Ephesians he would return because they wanted him to stay. And he spent over two years in Ephesus preaching, teaching, and performing miracles. So Paul's third journey is his uh the is a green line. Okay. Green line. The red one is, is his last journey to Rome. Lah. Okay, so uh, the the result of Paul's preaching and teaching and uh, doing all the miracles is that the people in the city of, of Ephesus turned away from things like sorcery and idol worship. And those were things that thrived a lot in Ephesus. So because those who embraced the gospel turned away from all these things, those who made money from it didn't like how much money they were losing as a result of the, the preaching of this gospel and so this is not the first time something like this has happened in Acts chapter 16 uh, during Paul's second missionary journey he and Silas rebuked a spirit to come out of a slave who was working for her owners as a fortune teller and so because you know when 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 Paul did that it cost the the owners of that slave woman, it cost them money. They riled up a crowd and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and they would later uh, experience a miraculous escape uh, similar to, to Peter. So money was a powerful motivator for certain people to be against Paul and his preaching of the gospel. Uh, today I'd like us to look at three questions contrasting pairs in today's passage. Firstly, heavenly versus earthly treasure. Secondly, order versus chaos. And thirdly, God's solution versus human problem. Let's look at the first one. Heavenly versus earthly treasure. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the gospel was a threat to how much money was made by some groups of people. And this is especially relevant in Ephesus. You see, Ephesus was home to what was considered the greatest temple of Artemis. Out of thirty-three temples found in the Roman world during that time, and this great temple of Artemis was actually considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Artemis. Who was also known as Diana to the Romans because the, the Romans just took the Greek gods and goddesses and gave them Roman names, uh, Artemis was the patron goddess of Ephesus. Uh, she was thought to be responsible for the success and prestige of the city of Ephesus. Uh, quite a while back, uh, there was probably a, a meteorite that vaguely resembled a woman in some way that fell to earth near Ephesus and the locals built a temple to worship it as a fertility goddess Uh, later when the romans took over this local goddess was rebranded as artemis okay because uh the they they could only worship gods that were authorized okay so uh yeah and so so this this temple of artemis also functioned as a treasury or bank of some sort so you can imagine In this temple, which is housing a lot of uh, money and valuables, outside there would have been a lot of vendors selling all sorts of religious stuff outside the temple. And one of those things would have been the silver shrines made by Demetrius the silversmith. This this silver shrine is probably like a a mini temple uh, with a small statue of Artemis inside so people could worship on the go. You know, probably a bit like a, a poly pocket for those who know what that is I, that's like a, a tiny little toy inside the toy room that you can you know, just fold shut and carry around with you now on top of that so on top of um, the the temple of artemis ephesus was considered one of the largest cities of the roman world and it was an important center of trade and commerce during that period So a lot of money flowed into the city and the the vendors capitalized on that uh, surrounding the temple. And so now business was being threatened by the gospel. So Demetrius the silversmith calls together all those who made and sold religious stuff in the city and he works them up until the city almost riots. But before we look at the mob and the, the almost riot that forms, I'd like us to consider Demetrius and the other religious vendors. Because their concern, their main concern right now, you know, at this point when they're uh, almost going to riot already, their main concern right now was how much money the gospel was costing them. But in their concern for their profits, they missed the value, the far greater value, of the gospel itself for themselves. As I said earlier, Paul was preaching the gospel in Ephesus for over two years. And he started out teaching in a Jewish synagogue, but eventually he moved to a lecture hall that would be more accessible, especially for Gentiles. And uh, miracles were performed over this period of two plus years. And if the Gospels tell us anything, it's that news will spread very fast whenever there's a miracle. The message of the Gospel was preached throughout Ephesus, and yet it was being rejected because of money. So this is a reminder for us that more than just financially, there is a cost to following Jesus. And this cost is often uncomfortable, unpopular, and unwelcome to those who reject the gospel. But this is only the case if their mind is only set on earthly things, because the cost of following Jesus is not a sunken cost. It is an investment with the best return on investment that you can find on this earth. Jesus himself... Talks about the value of heavenly treasure. Spiritual things that have eternal value. He calls it imperishable. You know how freehold property is considered? Well, usually uh, it, when when it's on equal uh, equal sort of uh, property. Okay, equal build up and, and architecture and size and all that. Uh, freehold property is usually considered more valuable than leasehold property, right? Uh, and that's because one you get to keep right as as long as you don't sell it, and the other one will eventually have an expiry date, right? So the the contrast between heavenly treasures and earthly treasures is even greater than that. And not just because of how long heavenly treasures last, but also because what it is it is having an abundance of the creator himself instead of only the created and so the value of knowing the creator is far greater than the value of anything uh, that that we can ever possess over a creation and you might be familiar with how Paul's letter to the Philippians, he, he listed down a, a long list of credentials that would, made, would have made up his worth in terms of earthly things, earthly achievements, earthly uh, credit. Okay? How he was one of the most righteous and most respected Jews that there could ever be. And he considers all this garbage in comparison to the value, the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Friends, we may not be idle craftsmen like Demetrius, but often the cost of following Jesus is also uncomfortable, unpopular, unwelcome to us. Especially when we're asked to give up earthly treasures, not just our our earthly money, but maybe our earthly time. Uh, Maybe our earthly ambitions, maybe our earthly addictions, maybe our earthly pride. When we are struggling with the earthly cost of following Jesus, would you set your mind on heavenly things and look at the far greater value of knowing and obeying God through faith in Jesus? Let's look at our first question for reflection or discussion later in our families or small groups at a, a later time. And so the first question is, what is one cost of following Jesus that you struggle with paying? And what might be the spiritual return on investment for paying it? And for the kids, what is one thing about being a Christian that you find difficult? How can struggling through it make your Christian life better? Okay, let's spend two minutes reflecting on this. Let's move on to our second point, order versus chaos. So because uh, Demetrius was probably losing money uh, because less people were buying idols and other religious or sorcery stuff, uh, he gathered the other craftsmen and he gave a speech designed to make them angry, to, to stir them up, stir up their emotions. And so, although money was the the actual reason that Demetrius wanted to make them angry, he also twisted it into a matter of religion and national pride. You see, the Ephesians had a rather possessive relationship with the Ephesian version of Artemis, and they claimed her to be theirs alone. So they they didn't like non-Ephesians. Uh, claiming her protection or the right to worship her. And so starting with this group, which was shouting, this, this group of craftsmen, which were shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They attracted more and more attention until the whole city was in an uproar. Uh, the, little, the, the literal Greek uh, for this word uproar says that the city was in a, a confused disturbance. And in that disturbance, they grabbed some of Paul's companions and they brought them to the theater in the city, which was not, not like our modern cinema. It was very, very large. It could contain about 25,000 people. And so the result was a huge crowd of chaos and confusion. And according to verse 32, most of them, didn't even know why they were there, right? Even Jews who weren't believers got tangled in the mess. They were trying to probably say that they had nothing to do with Paul, but the worshippers of Artemis just lumped the Jews in with him because Jews also didn't worship Artemis, right? So there was a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. And so... They they shouted the same thing for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians over and over again for two hours. Can you imagine? Uh, you might be wondering why did Luke record this particular incident in the Book of Acts? Like, what is the point? It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's not really about uh, the the spreading of the gospel and and how you know people came to faith and all that. So, what is the point of of recording this? This riot. Well, other than for historical record and to show you know another instance of persecution of the, the believers, this passage emphasizes that the believers and the spread of the gospel did not violate the civil laws of the Roman Empire. Their approach was peaceful and law-abiding. Unlike the forceful uprising that the Jews initially thought that Jesus would lead, you know, as a military king of the Jews, they, they thought that he would come and take the kingdom by force. Uh unlike that, the, the gospel that was preached was a gospel of peace and uh obeying the law. And so the gospel was not shared by attacking other religions or other methods uh uh sorry, by by the, the gospel was not shared by attacking other religions or by using other methods that sow discord or disorder. They reasoned from the scriptures, they shared the truth about Jesus, and then they just invited people to respond in faith. They did not force, they did not compel anybody. And instead, those who preached the gospel were always on the receiving end of force and violence. But even in how they responded to opposition and persecution, they also were indirectly testifying about the gospel. You see, by not fighting back, by not attacking those who opposed them, the believers testified about a God who was a God of peace, a God of love and a God of forgiveness. Friends, the Bible teaches us that the Christian faith is one of peace. Yes, following Jesus might result in a conflict of values and methods. Jesus himself does say that you know, following him uh, would involve possibly you know setting family members against each other and all that. But let's talk about a, a conflict of, of values and, and worldviews and all that. But God stands for love and peaceful methods of conflict resolution. The Bible also promotes order on top of peace. Although Paul is talking about worship in this particular verse uh, on the screen in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, the principle still applies that our God is a God of order and not disorder. He's a God of peace. Uh, Even creation itself was God bringing order into chaos. And so God's desire for order and unity uh, for his people is something that is constantly throughout the entire Bible. God's desire for his people is not chaos, it's not division, it's always for order and unity. On top of that, God places over us governments and authorities that we are commanded to submit to. Uh, we might not always agree with everything, but our disagreement should not result in sinful thoughts and sinful actions uh, or, or promote chaos or anarchy so christians should never at any point find themselves being part of a mob uh, I, i'm not talking about peaceful assembly uh, like birthday not not like that i'm talking about being part of an unruly mob that is you know just heading towards a riot or or any sort of result of mob mentality uh, vandalism violence looting that sort of thing okay we 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 should always be be aiming for peaceful resolutions uh, orderly resolutions now let's pause for our second question to consider is there an area in your life or in the lives of those around you that needs peace and order and How can you begin to work towards that? And for the kids, is there any fighting or messiness around you that you can help to make better? Okay, two minutes. Let's look at our last point for today. And that is God's solution versus human problem. Now, we saw in the previous message that opposition is to be expected when the gospel is preached, whether it's human opposition or spiritual opposition. And once again, we see here opposition to the gospel. Now, throughout all his missionary journeys, Paul and his companions fit face persecution uh, from Jewish opponents early on in his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 itself and throughout their journeys all three uh, Paul and his companions will constantly face opposition and persecution at every turn and we see from the passage today that the gospel did not just face opposition from Jews who were jealous about the success of the the apostles and, and how many uh, people they won over. But also, they, they faced opposition from the Gentiles because of how it threatened them financially, like we saw earlier. But despite an angry mob, Paul wanted to go out to address this crowd. Uh, the, the disciples and other friends of Paul feared for his safety, so they kept him away. So they told him, okay, don't, don't go, don't go. Uh, so Paul was sort of stuck. Uh, he he couldn't leave for Macedonia and Achaia, even though he had plans to do that uh, earlier, because of this angry mob. Okay, so Paul and the other believers had a problem on their hands. But if you've been paying any attention throughout our sermon series on the book of Acts, you'll notice that God was constantly removing obstacles to the gospel. He saved the apostles and believers from persecution and prison in so many ways and many of these were supernatural miracles so how did god solve this problem this time well nothing very supernatural god uses the city clerk of ephesus now before you assume that the the city clerk was an administrative guy you know a bit of a record keeper just like secretary that kind of thing uh, he probably had a role more like mayor of the city okay and although this this guy was not on the side of the christians he was calm he was level-headed and seemingly quite impartial and so what this man does is he reasons who is the crowd basically he shows them you know you don't need to be so worked up. Uh, he shows them how there is a proper process, orderly process for civil lawsuits for people with grievances with each other. He, he, he knew that that the, the root problem was actually that uh, Demetrius and the, the other craftsmen had a financial issue with Paul. All right And this this city club also warned the the crowd that they were in danger of breaking Roman law by rioting which was against the law and so because of his words the people dispersed now even though this man uh, wasn't favoring the Christians in Ephesus he was a solution that was sent by God for the problem that the the believers in Ephesus were facing and so this is very similar to the role that Gamaliel played in Acts chapter five, if you can remember, uh, Gamaliel, one of the one of the the Jewish leaders, uh, was not a Christian. Uh, he was not anybody biased towards the Christians, and yet he spoke up in their defense. Okay, and so it, it's just it was just somebody giving the right wisdom at the right time. A God provided solution for that problem. Friends, God can work through the most unexpected of ways. And just because he has worked in one way in the past, doesn't mean that he can only do it that way. After all, how many burning bushes are you aware of? How many foreign slaves do you know who became second in command in the whole country? Uh, how many weddings have you attended where water was turned into wine? Right? The Bible is full of miracles. And the very definition of a miracle is that it's an event that is out of the ordinary, beyond the expected laws of science and other things that you know can be observed and repeated. And so just as how God can work through an extraordinary supernatural miracle, he can also work through something extremely ordinary and seemingly mundane. So when it comes to God's activity, don't just look for formulas or or only expect him to work a certain way or it, it must be uh, miraculous because uh, uh, cause you, you specifically asked for it. Uh, no, be on the alert, uh, be watchful for how God might be working Beyond your expectations and outside of your expectations, even through the most unexpected ways or through the most unexpected people, our God is not a God to be limited and confined. Uh, he is; He can um, work in the unexpected. Our last question for today: What will help you to be more aware? of how God might work in an unexpected way. And for the kids, has God surprised you before? How? Okay, two minutes for this. In conclusion, just like how Paul was not discouraged from sharing the gospel when he was almost stoned to death during his first missionary journey, he was not discouraged this time. He wasn't going to stop. He would persevere on until he's eventually arrested in Jerusalem, uh, which we'll look at next week. In the meantime, Paul's legacy would result in in, in Ephesus, containing the largest Christian community of the Roman Empire and I imagine that many of those who were part of the riots or almost riot uh, would become part of the church at Ephesus. So friends, no matter how chaotic things might get in our lives and in the lives of those around us, I'd like you to know that our God is greater than the chaos. I'd like you to be ready for God to work in unexpected ways. And do pursue heavenly treasure and promote the peace and order around you. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.